0: Welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I'm Jay Warmke.
1: And today I am Annie Warmke.
0: Okay. And today I will agree that you are. And we're going to be <laughs> talking you. about challenges women face in, in agriculture or, and this is where I usually throw in some sort of attempt oh, at please. a silly life. but I decided, okay, you'll be happy. I thought no matter what I say, I'll be in trouble. So... I'm just leaving it at that. Okay, and now you're really
1: in trouble. You I were discriminating am. against
0: us again. Ah, well, all right. Whatever. Okay. Well, we're joined today by Stephanie Enloe. And Stephanie is the recently promoted to Woo-hoo! director of uh, programs at WFAN. <laughs> and WFAN stands for Women, Food, and Ag Network.
1: Agriculture. I, well, I looked
0: at their website. They only had it as ag. I, I, th- I thought that might just fit the logo. <laughs> anyway, <way>. Stephanie... <laughs> Stephanie, why don't you introduce yourself and and tell us a little bit about what W Fan is?
2: Sure. So yes, Stephanie Enlow. I am the director of programming for W Fan, and I started in mid January, so still fairly new to the role. Um, w Fan, also sometimes called We Fan, also sometimes called W F A N, depending on who you talk to, but I like to say W Fan. Um, We are a national community of women and non-binary folks who are building a socially and ecologically just food and ag system. That's our mission statement. Um, And so within the sustainable agriculture world, we really see ourselves as connectors, educators, storytellers, and community builders. Um, So we run programming intended to create spaces where women and non-binary people can learn from each other um, and build relationships. Um, and I'll talk more about some of that programming later. Would you like me to talk here about some of the the history of the organization and no, current- we <laughs> would like
0: <laughs> no, we don't wait, like history. Wait, so
1: <laughs> so I'm a storyteller, and I actually have been involved as a disclaimer anyway, and am involved and a member of Wfan, and was involved in the storytelling project, um, which I highly recommend. Everybody go to wfan.org and look it up because we all need to be doing a great job at telling our story of our work and our life. And I just really would love to hear more about what got you to the play, place in Iowa that you wanted to come back and uh, work for WFAN, all that, all those years in between. What, what were you doing and how did you get to this
2: place? Sure. So I grew up in Ames, Iowa, and I always thought that I really wanted to not be an adult in Iowa. So now I'm living back in Des Moines and have come full circle to just being very ready to have roots in the ground here. Um, but I got interested in agriculture and food systems work when I was doing my undergraduate at University of Iowa. And um, And I think in large part because I saw the food system as this place where all of these big issues that I was concerned about in terms of social equity and environmental issues were really converging. Um, And there also seemed to be in the ag space and in the food system space, at least, you know, kind of in my like naive 19, 20 year old mind, some fairly concrete answers or solutions to dealing with multiple big issues at the same time. So while I was there, I helped start the University of Iowa Student Garden um, and also worked for this great um, farm called Ecollective, which is maybe like 20 or 30 minutes from Iowa City where University of Iowa is located um, and started to you know learn more about growing things and have my hands in the soil and, and figure out how good that felt. And then <clears throat> I spent... About a year and a half in Tanzania after I finished my undergrad, which is really a story for for another time (laughs) uh, because we only have so many minutes here. But then when I moved back to the U.S., I was interning at this small diversified farm. um, And I had hoped to be there for about a year and really um, learn how to farm and see if that was the life that I wanted. And it was just a disaster. This farmer was not prepared at all to be um, an educator a, a mentor. Well, <laughs> yeah, honestly, a farmer too. Annie, as a goat lover, you would be appalled by some of these stories of my time I hear them all
1: the time and see them. So probably not. It's just upsetting.
0: Well, could I get, yeah. back you up? Just You said a diversified farm. Um, could you define mm-hmm. what that is? I think I know, but let us know.
2: I think about it as a farm that's growing multiple different types of crops and incorporating livestock into the cropping system, if you will, right? So at this farm, there was some pasture that had some fairly like diversified mixes, although mostly alfalfa, and there was supposedly some vegetable production, and there was a small goat dairy. Um, so they had multiple types of of systems going on that they were trying to integrate to some degree. Um, yeah. So that's what I think about is diversified. And and I was mostly involved with the goat dairy side of the operation. Um, Okay. So
0: you said this thing was a disaster. Um, in, in what way, what, what was going on there?
2: Um, the farmer was, uh, we'll say going through some life life stuff that had him quite distracted. Um, (laughs) I just, I don't know. It was it was terrible. He was not in a place to educate. We'll say that, um, and the farm was was really falling apart at the seams. Uh, but you know, and- it
1: seems like that's a really important part of your story because it showed you what wasn't possible, and exactly, and also the tremendous need there is for women, in particular, to be brought into you know, being counted in the USDA systems and also having mentorships so they actually can learn how to bring those systems together so they create a real making a living um, mm-hmm. at at these diversified systems. So if one system goes away, we say we have put, you know, we've got lots of baskets with eggs in them. So when one basket goes <laughs> away, we have the other baskets to make up for everything. So we don't, you know, lose the farm kind of thing.
2: And that sounds
1: like that's sort of a transition thing then that happened for you.
2: You know, it really was Annie, because I, I left feeling quite discouraged about, um, you know, my ability to learn about farming in an environment that didn't feel patriarchal, (laughs) which you just pointed out um, and exploitive And so that's what sent me into my master's degree in sustainable ag because I had kind of, um, yeah, I was just feeling discouraged about becoming a farmer, but I knew I wanted to stay involved in the the food and ag system in some capacity. And so then I went the academia route instead, right? And so then that's what sent me into that master's degree in sustainable ag, Um, you yeah. know, one of the and things
1: then- that I, I also learned, which bring, brings this up, is you blaming yourself, <laughs> saying, you know, maybe I can't learn to do this, instead of looking at the system and saying, it's so broken, I can't fix that system, but maybe I can learn how to create some new ones. And I saw this happen when I was trying to organize Women Grow Ohio Farmers Um mm-hmm. We were going to have a, 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 a day where you could visit the different farms and learn from women what they were doing. And we put something on Facebook and we had 400 and some responses within 24 hours. Okay. And we were so excited. And um, and so 17 women came forward to open up their their agriculture business and. And then about two weeks later, we started calling and saying, well, we want to help you with the news release and help you with the day, organizing the day. And some of the women said, oh, we can't do it. The men that work with me or my husband said, you are not doing enough to have a day that people come and look at what you're doing. And Mm. that was discouraging, Mm -hmm. really discouraging. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, well, let me ask you know um obviously you you mentioned about patriarchal and and i i'm trying to tiptoe through this without get myself in trouble not not too much but i i'm wanting to use like masculine and feminine without talking about male and female in this in this example and it seems to me farming is a very feminine type occupation you know it's those things at least i stereotypically think of as feminine in nature, you're growing, you're nourishing, you're nurturing, all of these kind of things. Is is that something that you're seeing where we try and put this kind of patriarchal template over top of a thing that just has to be feminine by its very nature? Kind of. Yeah. Kind of. Sort of. <laughs> you said kind yeah, of guess patriarchal.
2: Guess I would, yeah. I guess I would draw a distinction between kind of the gendering of so, masculine or feminine, um, the gendering of some kind of activity or way of being, versus um, the patriarchy, which is you know a structure that has, for millennia, <laughs> um, advantaged, um, we'll say cis men. Are you familiar with the term cis? So that would be like men who are born as men and identify with whatever, you know, dominant form of masculinity might be popular at the time. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I I would hesitate to call (laughs) any activity kind of inherently uh, feminine or masculine um, as a queer person who also um, is, you know, like Gender queer and yeah, we'll say gender queer. Um, I I think that those the distinctions that we draw around feminine versus masculine are, are quite arbitrary <laughs> um, and can really lock us in to a certain way of being that might not feel natural. So I totally hear what you're saying there with the idea of um, nurturing and and growth being kind of traditionally associated with femininity and i would push back against that and ask the question of what would happen if all people kind of regardless of gender expression and where they place themselves alongside some kind of i guess you could think about it as a continuum of feminine to masculine um what if nurturing and the growing of things were just considered an inherent part of being human regardless of gender. Um, so yeah, I just I'll I'll separate those things. It's not so much an answer to your question as a reframing of it though.
1: Well, I I I, I don't disagree. The thing that I think about when I work with women as a mentor and c- doing consulting is is that what what we're trying to do as a culture is to say that that agriculture is more than just growing a row crop Mm -hmm. that it is about giving life of nurturing life and that's the soil the air all of the components and I don't know why we have to make it a gender gender Mm genderified kind of thing Um, but I do think that we we have to look at it as as we are giving life. And that's been the problem. We have to separate ourselves from this system that's completely broken and very destructive. And that's what mm-hmm. I really like about um, the work of WFAN, if we can kind of walk back to that, Uh, before we get Mm -hmm. to break and then we can break it. Well,
0: well, why don't I give the break and then we can focus Uh, a little bit more on that. Uh, I just want to remind everybody that you're listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke, reminding you it is indeed the end of the world as we know it.
1: Thank God.
0: Thank God. And today we're joined by Stephanie Enlow, and she is the Director of Programs at WFAN and uh, talking about I don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> you you guys tell me what we're talking about.
1: <laughs> we're, <laughs> that's funny. I, I love seeing you like this. It's really nice. Uh-huh. Thanks, Stephanie, for helping me. Um, well, I think what we're talking about is women in agriculture as as an industry and um, mm-hmm. and and we have some notes that Stephanie and I came up <laughs> with, and so if you want to jump right. in well, anytime and let ask me, a question, okay,
0: let me ask the question because it seems like this industry and and agriculture is an industry has been co opted by the kind of agribusiness world, and the government is very much in support of this, and and the the uh, personality of the industry, as I think of it, is is very. Would be very against women and people who are not considered, as you say, um, uh, cis, cis, cisgendered. You know, I, I can imagine someone who identifies as queer in the culture of the farming community would would have a really tough time. I mean, that's...
1: We're not even counted. You know, women, it's only since 2017, women were counted on the agriculture so. census because there was a spot to count us. So the rest of us, if we're not in that that woman with a guy category, we don't even get counted, Jay.
0: Okay, so Stephanie, am I being unfair to the agricultural industry? <laughs> and if I am not, what are you doing to correct this massive injustice?
2: <laughs> Um no, not at all unfair, Jay. So, yeah, we can think about both kind of the like cultural challenges that women, non-binary folks, queer people, um, black, indigenous and other people of color run into when trying to be involved in, you know, the growing of of good food, right? Um and so so some of those issues are cultural, right? So it it's Showing up to, you know, the the coffee house where all the farmers gather in the morning, um, as a woman, for example, and wanting to sit down at the table and talk with the guys about, you know, cover crops, and everyone, all the guys, immediately changing the conversation away from farming to, for example. Um, (laughs) like something that they think would be appealing to a woman. Gossip, gossip. I can tell you right now, gossip or what's going on at church or whatever. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We have lots of anecdotes and stories of that kind of um, cultural exclusion. Or, you know, I was reading um, an article this morning that was an interview with um, a queer farmer who works. Um, in New York and uh, she was talking about how you know and she farms with a couple of um, queer black women as her farming partners and who I I believe, come from the South, and they were talking about, you know, going to the county fairs and the county fairs still allow people to be selling, you know, racist memorabilia such as Confederate flags, right? So how does that become a space culturally as a woman, as a Black person, as a queer person that you would ever feel welcome and like you want to enter and where you can get information and fellowship? So that's part of the issue. But then there are structural barriers as well, right? So we think, again, about discriminatory lending, um, practices it's only been a few decades that women have even been allowed to have credit in our own names right and you think yep. about since all the since discre- the 70s since the yep. 70s yep what is not that long. Um, well, and uh, then you say think one about thing
1: too is that if right. and maybe you have more you can say on this but where we don't sit at the table for decision making we are not really a part of the USDA and that's who mm-hmm. makes the rules. And we're not a part Absolutely. of Arthur Daniels Midland or DuPont or any of these other countries, big countries, probably they are. <laughs> Commodity. The nation uh, of
0: DuPont. That's
1: right. And Monsanto. <laughs> we're not a part of any of the decision making. We're, we're just an afterthought, really. And, and dismissed because we don't seem to make enough annually when they do the reporting now that, you know, in Ohio, we make something like $4,500 a year uh, in our, in our work is uh, in agriculture and the men make uh, 47,000 or something like that. And so somehow we're not even a part of the equation.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. You know, t- speaking of the USDA or, you know, some of those more structural barriers, Annie. You see, like you mentioned, women were not included in the ag census until recently. And now we know that about a third of primary farmland operators are women. We don't have a number yet for how many non-binary farmland owners there are. As as far as I know, certainly not in the ag census, right? Um, We know that the USDA... uh, participated and still participates to a great degree in discriminatory lending practices that between I think 1910 and I want to say the night like mid to late 1990s led to the loss of over 12 million acres of black farmland. I think there's a recent study that came out that shows that, um, discriminatory lending and some of those other structural barriers for Black farmers led to the cumulative loss um, of about $326 billion of wealth among um, the Black community. Um, we have stories about women farmland owners or women landowners walking into NRCS offices and being asked for their marriage certificates, right? So Yeah. Um, yeah. So all let me of say, this,
1: you know, I've I've experienced all that sitting on the Farm Service Agency board, and and the discrimination mm-hmm. came all the way from the top, calling women, uh, farmers, and administrators horrible names or acting like the word lesbian, which who knows if they knew if the person was that or not, but as a cuss word, and uh, and I finally, you know, mm-hmm. decry this is a hostile work environment for me to sit here. Anyway, so we all know mm-hmm. it's broken, like Jay and I talk about every time we do a podcast, that all the systems yeah. are really broken. But if we come back to WFAN, and that's the group that I'm keen about, I think we have some ways yeah. to address some of these discriminatory uh, issues. And not necessarily we're going to change the USDA, but we can change how we operate. And I think that's what WFAN is really about, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um so we have I guess I'll say like five buckets of work that I'll list and then I'll talk more specifically about two of those buckets. So, we have our harvesting our potential program which is a mentorship program for aspiring and beginning farmers. We have women caring for the land which works with women and non-binary landowners to help them take conservation and climate change resilience action on their land. We have Plate to Politics, which is a program that we just have not the staff capacity to invest in a ton, but the idea is to activate women in ag to really raise their voices in policymaking. Growing Community Resilience, which is um, kind of a monthly get-together where we bring in speakers and... Have conversations and digest some of the really sticky issues that are facing us um, in food and ag systems, especially when it comes to thinking about anti-oppression work. And then we have our conference, which I'll just make a quick plug before talking more about a couple of our programs. So,
0: (laughs) Um, So
2: our conference is coming up in the first weekend of December. It will be a virtual conference and we don't have registration open yet, but stay tuned for that. The theme is seeding community revolutionary healing through cooperative models. And we currently have um, a request for proposals for anybody who would like to do a workshop session. Those are open as well. So Annie, thank you for submitting yours. I think Annie will be one of our presenters at the conference this year, which I'm very excited about. Um, But for anybody else, just to say I'm gonna be talking about how to
1: have an internship program because I'm really, really, really hyped on uh, getting other women in agriculture to be mentors and provide mentor, uh, mentoring and internships. So I hope you'll join us, WFAN, WFAN.org. Sorry, I had to get that in
2: there. Thanks. Yes, and it's the perfect segue, actually, to talk about the Harvesting Our Potential program, which is one of our flagship programs. It's actually one of the first um, programs that we started as an organization, and that is that links aspiring and beginning women and non-binary farmers or ranchers <laughs> with experienced um, mentors, uh, women and non-binary mentors who you know own and run their own farms and ranches and can provide <laughs> much more um, targeted and positive experiential education for our mentees. And so that program uh has mostly for its history been centered in Iowa. Although we now have a couple of very wonderful mentors in Ohio. Annie is one of them, and a mentor in the Chicago area. Um, so we're expanding our reach there. Um, let's see, yeah. Do you do you want to spend a little more time talking about? mentoring now or should i give a quick overview of women caring for the land before we dive more into mentorships Uh,
1: i i think uh, just to say we i would like to hear more about the women caring for the land um, but i want to say about the uh harvesting our potential that um if if you are a, a person in agriculture listening to this you know we'd love to have a conversation uh, in Ohio, especially, mm-hmm. we'd love to have a conversation about how you could get more involved. So. So I gave Great. the pitch. Yeah, True w. thank you.
2: Is yeah, that through absolutely. the website we'll, there? Yeah. Yeah. WFAN.org. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Yes. And you can find a page there dedicated to the HOP program and we will be, um, accepting applications. Well, We'll be more actively looking for new mentors actually through the fall because we'll be looking to do our mentor onboarding and training process uh, kind of mid to late winter, probably around February, and then start linking new mentees up um, for the spring, which I know it's only September, but that's actually coming up very rapidly. So if you're listening and you're interested in um, becoming involved as a mentor or as a mentee, please reach out and you can find my contact information at um, wfan.org, or you can email me at stephanie at um, org. So we're going to run out of time, but
1: if you could just give us a little synopsis (laughs) about the Women Caring
2: for the Land. Absolutely. So Women Caring for the Land, like I said, is a program that brings women landowners together um, to talk about conservation, climate change, resilience, soil health, um, and think about how to work with their farmer tenants to get more stewardship practices onto the land. And you were talking earlier about how much women are really kind of pushed to the side and invisibilized within agricultural spaces. And, that's very much the case with a lot of the um, women and non-binary farmland owners with whom we work. So these are people who aren't necessarily um, involved with the actual farming of their ground. It's often row crop ground that they own. Um, and they'll be working with a farmer tenant who maybe uh, has been farming, like maybe they inherited land from their dad or maybe they um own land together with their husband and maybe they haven't been all that involved with actual decision making for that land but they feel a strong connection to it and so they have these tenants who may have been you know working the ground for decades and have strong opinions about how it should be farmed and don't want to try something new like a cover crop um or you know no till and so we support women to learn more about those types of conservation practices and then to develop some skills for working with their tenants to really push them to make sure that they're being good stewards of that farmland.
0: Okay. Well, th- so, thanks, Stephanie. I'm going to have to cut yeah. you off right here. Yeah. <laughs> We're out of time, but people can get more information at WFAN.org. So you have been listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine" with Jay and Annie Warmke. We want to thank our guests, Stephanie Enlow. Thank you very much there, Stephanie. And we want to thank our always non-discriminatory Emmy award-winning producer, <laughs> Adam Rich. And we want to thank you for spending just a little bit of time with us. And as your grandmother hopefully told you the secret to a happy and sustainable life is
1: play nice with others, clean up your own mess and check out WFAN.org.
0: All right. And, and talk to Stephanie. She's very nice. And she's from Iowa. So that's just doubly nice. The right? corn. The corn. All right. <laughs> All right. Take care. We'll see you next time. See the Lord of glory, blossom in the night. Though the skies are dancing in the firelight, soon we'll be together, and all will be revealed. Mother Earth will sing, and the children will be healed. You can find more information on living sustainably in our unsustainable world at Blue Rock Station.com.